Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Uh, we used to cancel Christmas. If you remember back in the days when we first started, not as in the holiday, but as in the service before or around Christmas because the numbers were always so low. And like we said, you know, maybe we shouldn't. But um, since families have stayed in recent years, we've done it. And then we kind of talk about the fact that now if like we do a recorded service, it takes as much work for us as for us as staff is just coming. So we just come and if you show up, great. So thanks for being here. Those of you on Zoom, uh, good to have you. We are finishing our series in Romans. It's the title of our series. Some of you may be cheering, like finally we're done. But it's not ashamed. Yeah, Jason's clapping in the back. Not ashamed of good news. We need good news in our culture today. Um, we need to learn to not be ashamed of the good news of what God has said in his word and who he is, especially at Christmas, what he came to do. Um, don't forget our theme verse as we say this the last time this week is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. First, to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In other words, we place our faith in who God is. The book of Romans is Paul writing to Gentiles, to people who aren't Jewish, but also to Jews that are in the church and saying, we have to have faith. We have to see that being right with God isn't about what we do, what we try to do. It's not about our efforts. It's about what Christ did, what God has been doing throughout human history for us and our simple response to surrender to him and give us the strength and even now the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus to live the life of righteousness he wants us to live. As we wrap up, the last part of our series, this probably is a, is a good title to think through or a good sermon, and that is this, not ashamed of greeting, <laughs> right? Not ashamed of greeting. Did it jump too far? Sorry. Go back, go back. There it goes. Not ashamed of greeting. Um, we're in a culture right now that tells us that we shouldn't greet people. Don't shake hands, don't give hugs, don't. If you don't know them, don't talk to them, stay six feet away. Like, we have done a good job of killing greeting <laughs> in our culture. And as Paul wraps up this incredibly deep and complex and somewhat overwhelming theological book about who God is, the Trinity is, what our purpose is in the world, he pauses in the last chapter to just remind the people that are receiving this book, greet one another. Greet one another, be kind, talk to one another, encourage one another. He comes to the end of the book, and after all of the theology and everything else, it's now like, you guys better measure up. He's like, and let me tell you about all these people I love. Let me tell you about all these people you should greet and know. Let me tell you about what, like, he wraps up thinking about the world around him, the lost and those who have come to know Christ, and he's like, greet one another. We looked last week at what Paul said in Romans 15, but as we think about greeting, greeting now more than ever before takes us really out of our comfort zone. <laughs> you have no idea what you're going to get when you try to greet someone in our current climate. Are they going to tell you to shut up? You have to stay away from me? I'm trying not to get sick. Like, like, like to, to greet someone is an act of faith because it says I'm going to leave my security and comfort zone and put myself out there and say hello my name is, right? 
Like, put the sticker on and walk around and be like, and people are like, that is a weirdo. Stay away from him or her. Like, but that's what God's called us to do. He has called us to do what he's been doing for humanity for, hit for all of history. And that he keeps intervening and greeting humanity. I'm here. Hello. My name is God. My name is Yahweh. Hello. I'd like to know you. And we keep saying, keep your distance. Keep your distance, God. I'll let you know when I want to have you around. I'll let you know when I need you in my life. I'll let, I, and we do the same with Christians and with churches in our lives. It's like, well, when I need the church, I'll go to church. But I don't need church. I'm doing fine. And we've lost this sense like they would have had in this culture of greeting. Where greeting was a big deal. We'll see that in a moment when we look through the scriptures. Greeting someone was, was an act of faith. It was an act of, of courtesy and love in this culture. It was a way to declare yourself different than the world around you. Because the Romans tended to be kind of snooty. They tended to be kind of like, well, we're Romans and we're privileged. And versus God called his people, even in the Old Testament, to greet the foreigner, to greet the alien. Well, that's dangerous. I don't know what the foreigner's going to bring into my house. I don't know what they're going to do. And we can't just greet everybody. Do I greet a serial killer and let him come into my house? Like, well, I mean, we have these questions, and Paul kind of actually deals with that at the end of his book. Because he knows he's given all of these truths. He's telling people to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let God have control of your life. And then he realizes that to do that, it's going to require faith on you to step out and put yourself out there relationally to greet people, but not to greet people like the world does. See, the the world says, hello, my name is, and puts a name tag on you because they're trying to sell you something. Like, like you have a name tag as a waitress because you want to get to know them personally, so they give you a better tip. That's just life. I'm not against that. I'm not saying that's wrong. Everybody that goes to a restaurant knows that's the business engagement they're entering into. They know that's what they're walking into, right? Like, it's, it's, we're not deceived. We go to a conference, and we, we, we go to... A sales pitch. We know that when we walk in, what they're going to do. They're... But God says, I want you to greet people in a way that points them to me, no strings attached. You're not trying to give a sales job to people. You're not trying to get them to see you. And when you greet people, say, look at me, look at me. I'm so friendly. I'm so nice. It's like, no, I want you to get people to see me through you. And that's a different kind of greeting. And it's one in which is difficult for us because we have such an innate desire to want to be left alone and be liked, which are so polar opposites, but that's who we are. I want to be liked when I want to be liked, and I want to be left alone when I want to be left alone, and don't bug me. And when Paul writes this letter, he blows that up. The stuff he writes at the end of this letter would be very offensive to us in our culture today. So let's dig in. Romans 15 last week said, again it says, rejoice you Gentiles. He's talking about what God has said throughout history, that he's trying to raise up a people. He's trying to create a people that will greet the world with his message so that they will know him. The Gentiles will know him. And he says, you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. All the people should praise him. In other words, our greeting is one of praise because we know the end game. We know who we're greeting on behalf of. We know where we're headed and the world doesn't. Verse 12 says, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear. He will greet us. He will show up and say, hello, I'm here. That's Christmas. And then he says, the one who rule, rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. In other words, they'll follow him. They'll be like, wow, we want to get to know you. 
That's what the Bible lays out was God's plan all along. And believe it or not, we're in the middle still of that plan until Jesus returns. There was another greeting that happened in the Christmas story. It's a greeting that especially those of you who are women and even the men in this room would not have probably appreciated this greeting that God gave. In Luke chapter 1, it says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, rejoice, favored woman. That's a greeting. I don't know about you, but if I saw an angel and he said, rejoice, favored woman, and I think I'm going to die. I'm seeing things I've never seen before. Like they're, like I, so her response, and he says, the Lord is with you. Now pause for a moment. We read that because we've grown up in a culture that tells us, oh, God loves you and he cares for you. That's not this culture. This culture was full of idols and even the Old Testament priests that were supposed to be telling people God loved them and there was forgiveness were not telling people that. They were saying, you need to be afraid that the gods are going to smite you all the time. And if you're not afraid the gods are going to smite you, then you're in trouble. And you have to appease all these gods all the time. The gods don't want to have favor on you. They're just playing games with you, and you're trying to stay out of their way. That was the Greek mythological system. That was the Roman gods. And so for him to say, this, the Lord is with you, would have confused her. Here's also why. The temple is where Jesus lived, it, or where the Holy Spirit resided, where God's presence was, Okay? So if he says God is with you, she'd be like, where? Because when the priests go into the temple, if they go in with any sin, they get struck dead. I'm not sure I want God with me. I, I, I don't, God is with me? That sounds weird. That is not how I was raised. That is, I, I'm not sure how this works. Like God's with the people, but with me personally? I, I don't know about that. She go, so she asked, but she was deeply troubled in this statement. Of course she's deeply troubled, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. <laughs> what kind of greeting is this? An angel shows up and goes, rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And you're like, this is psycho. What am I seeing? Am I having a dream? Like, she doesn't get this. And then the angel told her, don't be afraid. He can see the fear coming over her. If God's here, and I know I'm a sinner, which Mary does, we'll see in a moment, I'm in trouble. And the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word found favor means grace. You have found grace with God. He looks on you favorably. He's coming. He sent me to greet you. Oh, and by the way, he's going to put a child in you that will greet the world. He goes on and he says this. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. That means Yahweh saves. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, just like you should in this situation, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? 
I'm going to be pregnant? Uh, Mr. Angel, I'm not sure you understand how this works and how God created Adam and Eve. Like, I'm not sure you get the whole process. I'm very confused right now over, and can you imagine the angel shows up with the hello, my name is name tag and says, oh, by the way, you're highly favored. Your entire life is now completely messed up, completely turned upside down. You're engaged to Joseph and now you're pregnant. You're going to be engaged to a man and have to tell him you're pregnant and then convince him that God did it. You're favored. Yay. This is going to be wonderful for you. Every, this would have been like, say what? All the plans Mary would have had, marriages were arranged at this time. We don't know if Mary had been arranged to Joseph's family for her entire life. We don't know if it was recent. We, but typically marriages were arranged long term, in advance. And all of everything she had been raised to believe, everything she had been, was shattered by this greeting. This greeting that was brought to her that she didn't ask for. She was just trying to be a faithful woman of God and God steps into her life and turns all of her life, all of her expectations, everything upside down for something so much better than anything she could hope for. He goes on and it says, Mary asked the angel, how can this be? And in verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Again, that would have caused panic. For the Holy Spirit to come upon me? The priests in the temple are scared to death of the Holy Spirit. The high priest goes in with a rope tied around his ankle and bells on. So if the bell stopped, they pull to see if he's still alive and pull out his dead body from his sin, being in the presence of God, being struck dead. And you telling me he's going to come and show up? I don't want that greeting. I, I'm not sure I want that. See, that's what our response would be. But look at Mary's response. This is incredible. Therefore, the angel goes on to say, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He's most high. He's Son of God. Look at Mary's response in verse 38. I'm pretty sure that if someone showed up at your house and gave all of this to you and challenged you that your entire future was turned upside down, you'd be like, hold on, let me pray about this. Give me a moment. Let me get back to you in a couple of weeks, set my affairs in order. Let me talk to Joseph about this. Mary's response, verse 38, is, I am the Lord's slave. I completely and fully understand who I am. Hello, my name is Mary. My name is slave. I am God's slave. I know who I am. I know why I have lived. And then she says, may it be done to me according to your word. I love that. Man, if we could get back to that in our Christian culture today and what Paul is talking about in Romans, where he says, I just want you to love God through the revealed word he's given. Like, I want you to love him. I want you to know his word. And Mary says, I will trust in your word over mine. I will trust in your emotions over my emotions. I'll trust your word and your greeting to me. I'll trust that I actually have grace when I don't feel like I have grace. I'll trust that you are going to do a miracle in my life that, I'll, that no one will believe. And it won't be a miracle that, like, benefits me. Mary doesn't die rich and wonderfully, you know, prosperous goes on and it says, and Mary said, look at this, she goes on. Then the angel left her, and Mary's response after the angel left is again amazing. 
You and I have a greeting like this. Someone shows up at our house. Hello, it's good to see you. Great, come in. We were sharing family stories last night. My brother-in-law was sharing a story of some family that stopped by their house. Like, we're five minutes down the road, and they had just woke up and, like, in sweats, and their house is a pit, and they're like, oh, and they're like, yeah, and he's on the phone, and he's got to communicate to his wife that people are coming in five minutes without, like, you know, and she's like, oh, you're coming in five minutes, and so now the house, they're trying to clean up because there are people coming. When they leave, you would probably be like, I hope they never do that again. That was, kill- I'm not, uh. The frustration of that, right? Not Mary. After the angel leaves her, she decides to write a worship song. <laughs> she decides to break out and worship in her home and sing God's praises and be like, this is awesome that people showed up that I wasn't expecting and turned my life upside down. And now, I, oh, this is wonderful. And she says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. She doesn't say, and I'm so awesome, God came and he loves me. No, she's like, I'm just amazed he even recognized that I exist. I'm amazed he even greeted me. It was funny, last night we were with family and uh, a family friend showed up. And that family friend, my, my daughter, did something really interesting. She she has a prank, put, made pictures of him. And one of those pictures is on the back of his car. It's a student that she goes to school with. And so every time I leave the driveway of the house, his picture's in the corner, he'll remain nameless, his picture's in the corner of his car, and I just laugh, and like I pray for him. And then I'm like, it's just this funny moment. So when, so when he came last night to show up at our family gathering, and, and he walks in, I'm like, dude, you are famous, and I, I'm looking at the family, I said, do you know how famous he is? His, his image is everywhere. Like people all over Bloomington have seen this guy. Like he's, and he's like, what are you talking about? Like he is not putting the pieces together. And then I'm like, could I have your autograph? And I pull up my notes program and put the squiggle on me, just sign here. And he's like, what are you talking about? I mean, he is just, and I keep doing it all night. All night I drop another thing, another thing. And then, and then I look at him, I'm like, your sticker. At the end of the night, I'm like, your sticker, because I've been messing with him for like six hours, like it probably four or five hours that I've been like, keep playing this on. So at the end of the night when we're all leaving, I'm like, hey, by the way, the reason I did that and greeted you that way is because your sticker's on the back of my daughter's car. And, every, and she's like, I have no idea why she did that to me. Like, it was just this hilarious moment, but it was an incredible greeting because he's like, he's like, yeah, I've not really ever been greeted that way. <laughs> Mary's response is one of like worship, praise. And she goes on and she says, surely from now on, look at this. This is faith. All generations will call me blessed. This happened 2,000 years ago. We're still calling her blessed. She recognizes that God is going to use me in the plan of salvation for the world. He's going to use me to do something for him? Wow, I don't deserve that. But I know that if he's involved in it, then it will last forever. It will last longer than me. Then she says, because the mighty one has done these things for me, 
and his name is holy. She recognizes he's mighty and he's holy. I'm not in charge of my life. He's the one in control. He's the guy that I have to go to. He's the one that's holy, not me. I I didn't get this because I'm some great person and I was so holy. And so God said, ooh, I like you better. I'll pick you out because you've measured up. She's like, no, I know that's not the case. And then in verse 50, he says, his mercy is from generation to generation for those who fear him. She gets it. She's like, God is looking to have a relationship, to greet people. He is looking to have this intimate fellowship with people for all of human history. This is what he desires. And I get that now. I understand that. It goes on. It says, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has shattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. Or scattered, sorry. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Man, this is incredible. Because Mary says, look, I recognize he's done this mighty deed. And then she starts saying all the things that God has done. Here's the problem with that. God hadn't done all those things yet. Israel was in slavery in Rome. They were Roman slaves, basically. They were in captivity. And she's saying, God has done all these things, and they're poor. She's proclaiming that God has done these things in the past. I'm believing them for the future, regardless of the circumstances I find myself in. And then she says, the reason I trust in this is because I know the Bible. I know the scriptures. I know what God has done. I know what he says he's going to do. And I'm going to trust in those two things, not in my piddly little life. And I'm going to take my life and invest in those things. Invest in what he's done and what he will do and say, I trust you. Man, this is an incredible moment. This is an incredible response to a greeting that would have interrupted her life in no way that anybody has knocked on your door and interrupted your life. It goes on. It says this. Romans 1, 16, Paul is writing and he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Serencius. This is beautiful. Beautiful. Paul ends his letter elevating a woman who just serves the church. Doesn't say she's a pastor, it says she's actually a deacon, a servant. That she's coming to you and I expect you to greet her. I expect you to welcome her. She has been faithful. He goes on and he says, You should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. In other words, I, I'm sending her to you because I know you'll greet her well. And she needs help. So I'm going to send her to you because I know you'll try to help her the right way so that she can serve and do what God's called her to do. Then it says, for indeed she has been a benefactor of many and also of me. Give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila or Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Wait. So I got Phoebe coming. So this church, this Roman church, is receiving a letter that's saying, Okay, I'm going to send Phoebe. Okay, yeah, we can handle that. I got a spare room. We got Phoebe. Oh, and I'm sending Prisca and Aquila. Okay, that's, that's two more. We can, we can handle that. And he says, 
my coworkers, and they've risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. We should all recognize what these two have done to build the church. And then he says, greet also the church that meets in their home. Hold on, there's a whole church coming? So I got, now I've got Phoebe, Prisca, and Aquila, and their entire church is coming to Rome to hang out with us. We're not rich people. We're poor Roman slaves. Like what? He goes on. He doesn't stop. He says, greet my dear friend, Epantius, who is first, the first convert convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow countrymen and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. He's like, they, they knew Jesus before I did. All of these people are showing up. This Roman church is getting this letter from Paul, and they're going, Oh my goodness, we can barely take care of our own people. We can barely feed our own widows. We can barely take care of what we have. And Paul is expecting us to take all these people in. He goes on, he's not done. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. And my dear friend Stachus, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristippus. Aristopolis, greet Herodian, my fellow countrymen. He, the list keeps growing of people that are coming. The, this would not have been some big, huge church of thousands of people. This would have been like maybe a house church or a series of house churches who now have a group of people coming to Rome because it was really hard to own land in and around Rome. It was, the, it was like trying to buy land in Washington, D.C. You can't just like buy a piece of property off the Washington Monument. It's not how it works. The land has already been sold. It's already deeded. Same thing. And they've got to be panicking going, what are we, where are we going to put people? And Paul doesn't tell them how long they're going to stay. Some scholars believe they traveled to Rome and they stayed there until Paul's second imprisonment. Because not his first one, his second one. Goes on and he says, greet those who belong to the house of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis who has worked very hard in the Lord. What, how'd you like that? Like, wait a minute, I've worked very hard. You, called, you said they worked hard. But I, well, I've worked very hard too. Like Paul's like, no, no, no. Yeah, he's worked very hard. They've worked hard, but oh, he's worked very hard. Like, this is, these are kind of offensive things to say. He goes on and he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. That's not the Rufus. Isn't the Rufus in the Matrix? Isn't that one of the guys in the Matrix? Okay, not that Rufus. Um, also his mother and mine. Greet a syncretist, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet, I love this guy's name, it's Fala. Phalalagus. Phalalagus, get it? Phalala. That's that's how you pronounce it. I'm telling it is, I promise. You can Phalagus. It's it's yeah. Phalalagus. I'm telling you, it is. Pull up your Bible Gateway program. Okay. And Julia. Near us and his sister. 
and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now it gets real in the greeting. Not only you got people showing up at your house, but they're kissing you. For those of you who are not touchy-feely, this is very offensive. And Paul demands it. Paul is demanding it. They're going to come in, they're going to be like, Mwah! and you're going to be like, ah. Like Paul is saying, this is intimate. These people are not just people in another church somewhere, just those other Christians. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And just as you would hug and welcome and love a brother and sister in Christ, these people are people you can welcome because I'm telling you they've been faithful. At the end of the letter, Paul tells them there are people who haven't been faithful. Don't welcome them. But here he says, these people you can trust. These people you should throw your arms around. These people are family. And you should greet them as such. And not be afraid. Not in fear, but in love, in compassion. Now, a holy kiss, some scholars think that's where you kiss on either cheek, like they still do in Middle Eastern culture. That's possible. Could have been on the kiss on the lips. I don't know. Kiss on the forehead. I don't know. I don't know how it was. But it was a holy kiss. Not a, I'm going to get one. That's not what it was. It was when you do this, you think holy thoughts, not hold the kiss too long because she's prettier than she is. That, that's what Paul is talking about. And then he says, all the churches in Christ, all the churches in Christ send you greetings. <laughs> So let me get this straight. You're sending an entourage that we have to figure out how to care for. I didn't ask for. But you've told all the churches already that you believe that we'll accept them, that we'll love them, that we'll tell them the truth and care for them. You've been talking to us, to everyone else. I'm nobody. I'm just trying to be faithful. I don't, I don't need that kind of publicity. And Paul's like, yeah, they, they know of your faith, and that's why I'm sending them to you, because I know your people that will, that will do what God says to do. Romans 17, he goes on, and this is where he turns. He says, here are the greetings. And in 17, he says, now I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause dissensions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Paul says there are those you should greet and there are those you need to be very careful of because they're going to cause dissensions and they're not going to be in sound doctrine. The only way we know what sound doctrine is is to be in the word, is to learn it, is to dig in, to know, to study, to, to, to see God's character, to understand where we're taking, as we talk about in our membership class, a conviction level belief about God and we're taking a persuasion level belief and moving it into conviction when it shouldn't be. And instead of greeting someone with a holy kiss, we greet them with spite because they haven't been baptized by the right method. Well, you've only been sprinkled. I can't welcome you into my home. What? Or we move these persuasions that we're persuaded to believe into convictions that say, well, if you don't believe exactly like I do, and here I have a verse to show you, then I can't greet you. 
Well, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe the Bible is the authority of the word of God? Do you believe in the Trinity? Do you believe, do you believe the simple, that you're a sinner, that you need to be, the, the simple things that God has been teaching for all of human history? Do you understand that? Yes. Okay, then we can disagree on some persuasions about how family's done. Some families discipline children one way, another family disciplines the children in another way. If that family doesn't have agreement in their house on how to discipline children, it's going to be bad. But this family doesn't get to tell this family how to do it. They might advise them. They might ask them questions. Why don't you do this? I'm just curious. What is your heart? Why do you do it that way? They may question one another, but they don't break fellowship over the fact, well, you use a wooden spoon and we use a switch. We don't spank. We time out. We don't break fellowship over that. We say, this is what I'm persuaded to believe. Proverbs says, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. I don't want to spoil my kid, so we occasionally use the rod. Someone looks at you and says, I was abused as a child. I was beaten every day. I cannot beat my own children. God's going to have to have grace on me. I can't do that. Then you look at them and say, wow, that's pretty incredible. I get why you don't spank. It's not a conviction level belief. There are scriptures, I just used one, that back up why I do what I do and there are scriptures that back up why they do what they do. But it doesn't mean I don't welcome them in my house because their kids don't act right. We can have the conversation. We can ask those children to submit to our rules and we go to their house. We can tell our kids you submit to their rules. We can do that. That's different church families, local bodies of Christ. And Paul is writing to say, you guys have to learn to get along and I'm gonna send people into your life to mess up your life on purpose so you have to trust me instead of keep trusting your way of doing things. He, that's what he's doing. That's what he did to Mary and Joseph. He goes on and he says, Avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They have an agenda. They're trying to sell you something. They're trying to get in a position of power. And he goes on and he says, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting by beating them and making them do whatever they want them to do. Is that what it says? No, they deceive us with smooth talk and flattering words. Watch some commercials today. Commercials are just smooth talk and flattering words. Except the drug commercials that tell you you'll die if you take this drug at the very end in small print very fast. While music's playing in the background and people look very happy about dying with liver disease by taking this drug. Guys, Paul has been writing this letter. He cares about this church. He cares about these people. He's trying to bring people together for the purpose of declaring the gospel to the world and giving God's greeting that he has come to the earth, to all the world. And as he's wrapping up his letter, he's like, look, you've, you've got to do this. This has got to be a part of your DNA. And, and the world's going to fight this. They don't want you to gather. They don't want you to be together. You can do it wisely. If you're sick, don't come and make everybody sick. Duh. But you can be wise about how you do things. Be loving, be kind, be caring. Oh, and by the way, you're just a slave anyway, so even if you live, just something else is going to get you. And he goes on and he says this as he wraps up. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Again, Paul's saying, 
I have been talking to everybody. I am amazed that you live in Rome, in Washington, D.C., and you don't, you don't hubbub with the politicians. You're like, you're there sharing the gospel. You're standing for Christ in the midst of a culture that it would be really easy to get what you want and, and to say flattering words and flattering speech, which is all Washington, D.C. is, to, to schmooze and sell and try to get what you want. And you're living for the gospel in that mess. You're laying down your life. You're welcoming outsiders when Rome is scared to death of outsiders. Oh, by the way, the reason the Romans ended up under Nero killing Christians and martyring them and killing them was because he could not stand that Christians and his major cause against Christians was that Christians were welcoming outsiders into the Roman Empire and they were going to overthrow the empire. Nero set Rome on fire himself and blamed Christians for it and the outsiders they invited in who did it. Nero said. There's a good movie I watched over break called Saul of Tarsus. It's a story. It's not exactly true, but it's a, good, it's a pretty good film about the life of Saul and his second imprisonment to his beheading. Jim Saviezel, the guy that played Jesus in The Passion of Christ, is playing Luke. And he's traveling to Saul, and he's going into prison. Saul's writing his final letters. His li he's writing the book of Acts. It's Luke writing the book of Acts so that he can give the greeting of the book of Acts to everyone else in the church. And it's the story. It's, it's not Bible, it's not, it, but it's an interesting movie. And it's the same thing when you read this story of Paul greeting people Priscilla and Aquila in the movie are in Rome trying to figure out, do we flee for our lives with what Nero is doing, or do we stay? What are we supposed to do? They don't know how to care for one another. It's a mess. But it's a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus. And then Paul says, verse 19, therefore I rejoice over you. So yesterday, I was sitting with my son-in-law on the couch. We were talking, and I noticed when he played his Christmas Eve service, we watched his Christmas Eve service for his church. When he was playing the piano, he had a ring on the wrong finger, a silver ring on his right hand, and it kept flashing in the, in the, as he was playing. And I'm like, is the image superimposed? Like, is that... Is that the wedding ring? Like, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't compete. It was distracting me. Like, in, like, why is that? So when he came, we're sitting on the couch, and I looked across. I'm like, dude, why do you have another ring? And he jokingly said, it's my purity ring. I'm like, you're married. Both hands get to do what they, yeah, I, I said yes. Like, you can take that off. You're pure with, you know, this is the way it is now. And he's laughing, and Micaiah's laughing. And I'm like, no. and he goes, no, it's not my purity ring. He goes, actually, my I found this in one of my father's drawers and I asked my dad if I could have it as a reminder of how good a dad he's been to me. So I wear that ring because whenever I wear it, I hear and I say, I rejoice in you, dad. Therefore, I rejoice in you. Wow pretty incredible that's what Paul is saying to this church he's like I rejoice in you know that you have favor with me and he says but I want you to be wise 
about what is good, yet innocent about what is evil. Innocent doesn't mean, hear me out, innocent and evil doesn't mean we try to keep children from ever seeing evil. That is not innocent, that's stupid. You're not preparing your kids for the world they're gonna grow up in. Innocent means not committing evil. Showing kids, kids, that's evil. Don't do that. That's what preserving innocence means. If God wanted to preserve our innocence, he wouldn't have written the Bible. Have you read the Old Testament? Not very innocent. And he says, understand what's good, yet innocent about the evil. And then he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the grace of our Lord Jesus will be with you. That's exactly what the angel told Mary. The, the grace, the favor of the Lord is upon you. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. It is the message of the gospel that God gives to his people. Then he goes on and he says, Timothy, my coworker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow countrymen, greet you. Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is a host to me and in the whole, to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He says it again, and know that if you know him, his grace is on you. And if you have his grace, then you will respond in grace, in greeting, in favor to other people. You'll be wise about it. You'll be wise about what's good and who's evil. You'll ask. You'll... And then as he wraps up, he says, Now to him who has the power to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ. Remember, that means Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. According to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages. In other words, Abraham, Mary, they all waited to see what you guys get to see. They all waited to see this new church and the Gentiles come to faith. They all waited to see the Messiah die, resurrect, go to heaven, and he's coming again. And you get to see the mystery. And then he says, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures. In other words, this isn't made known because of your emotions. It's made known because God said it. And just like Mary trusted in the ancestry of what was happening and trusted in her future, Paul says, trust in the scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all nations, all people, all ethnoses, to the end of the globe. And then he says, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever, amen. To him be glory. See, my major problem often in greeting, I'm an extrovert. I want people to like me. And sometimes my greatest problem in greeting is I'm looking for my own glory, not God's. I'm looking for my own comfort and security in the place I'm in and the relationships around me, not in God's comfort and security by being who he wants me to be in the midst of those relationships around me. I don't want to pay a cost or a price doesn't give me what I want in my flesh, but could give me what I want for eternity and the close relationship I could have with my God. Let me ask you, what do you look for and what do you greet into your life? What do you think will have the power to save you from loneliness, fear, hunger, desire that will deliver 
your life. Can I just tell you there is a God who came in the form of a child through a virgin in the craziest story ever told to say, I come to greet you. I come to show you that I can have favor on you if you will allow me, if you'll surrender. If you don't, then I'm going to bring my judgment, but I don't want to bring judgment. I want to bring my favor to you. And then he calls us as believers to be those messengers and to be greeting one another together. As we look to a new year, let me ask you this. How are you going to greet 2021? How are you going to welcome 2021 into your life? Who are the people that you're going to go and tell about who God is? How are you going to change and allow, like Mary, you to write a song to God in 2021 in the midst of some crappy circumstances that she found herself in? In the midst of that, Mary is still praising God. Can I just tell you, that's God's desire. That's been his story all along. And he wants you to know that you cannot You don't have to be ashamed of the good news of what he has done and what he's going to do in your life. And it may be hard. It may be difficult. You may have to flesh some things out. But he is with you if you know him, if you've surrendered to his son. That's why he came. That's why Paul wrote this book of Romans. That's our encouragement to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Think about Christians through the ages who had to risk their lives to even give a greeting and say they were a Christian. Christians around the world today that are scared to tell people and greet people into their home because they could be government spies. They could be those that are looking to destroy their lives and to look for Christian material and come in with flattering and smooth talk only to destroy them. And yet they still welcome them. They still serve them. Father, help us to be people that that understand your word and have hearts like Mary, have hearts like Phoebe, hearts like Paul and Timothy and the people we read about. Help us to be a church like this Roman church that that Paul and others could say now, man, I'm, I'm proud of you. That is, wow. Lord, I pray that if anyone hears struggling with hearing your favor, your greeting this morning, I pray they'd understand that you look at them and you say, fear not. Fear not. Don't be ashamed. Just surrender. Confess and know that I forgive and then get connected in a way that to him and to the word and to the body of Christ in a way that begins to change you and open up your life. We thank you that that's the message that you've given throughout all of human history. I thank you that it's clear to us that it was a mystery before, but that we have the true answer. And we praise you for it in your name. Amen. One last thing I'm going to share before we wrap up is the book of Haggai. What we're going to be talking about in the book of Haggai is um, rebuild. Verse 2 of Haggai 1, it says, The Lord of hosts says this, These people say, The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Not time to take off our masks. Not time. It's not time. The word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. It is a time for you. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? 
Now the Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. We're going to start 2021, spending three weeks talking through the book of Haggai and how God wants us to rebuild the new temple, which is not a building, but the human heart and his church. And Haggai says, you live in your paneled houses. Would you be willing to step out to greet others? Would you be willing to think carefully about your ways so that in 2021 you fulfill the mission that God has for your life?